Hello again. Okay, please bear with me. I don't know how to preach. This is terrifying, but I'm going to give it my best shot. <laughs> so, joy. Uh, joy is one of my pet topics, one of the drums I always find myself banging if I am given freedom and time to ramble at will. For lots of you, bits of what I'm going to share this morning will probably sound a bit familiar. Um, please forgive me for that. Hopefully you won't mind too much. The very best messages and stories never seem to wear out in the retelling, and this will not be the best. Um, but hopefully God will make it into something good. Uh, one of the many times I've talked about joy this year involved me asking some friends of mine a question, which was, when did you last do something just for the joy of it? When did you last make a snow angel or eat jam straight from the jar or skip or dance on your walk home from work or do a finger painting or buy yourself a really nice cake at the coffee shop? When was the last time you put on your fanciest clothes just to laze around the house or jumped in a big puddle or spent an hour hunting for bugs in the garden? Not to entertain a child just because you wanted to. I hope the answer is this morning or yesterday or at least this week. But for some of my friends, they were reaching back years to find an answer. And that made me really sad. Kids are definitely a lot better at this kind of thing. Um, I can't even count the number of times I've had children doing the most amazingly ridiculous things in a group. And when you ask them why, you're met by the most incredibly blank expressions. There isn't a why. Um, and why would there need to be? One of my very favourite quotes is from George Mallory speaking to a journalist about why he would want to summit Everest. And he said, because it is there. Because it is there. Uh, because it is beautiful and it's exciting. Because it's unknown. Because I want to know what the world looks like from the top. Because things exist magnificently, fearfully and wonderfully, breathtakingly. And it is awesome to see them, to know them, to touch them for the joy of it. And why isn't that enough? The work of Adam and Eve in Eden was that to enjoy God and to enjoy the world he had made. To care for it, yes, but that wasn't work. We know that, um, that man doesn't have to toil until after the fall so why is it that somehow today, for the joy of it, sometimes doesn't feel like a good enough reason for doing something when that is what we're made for? Uh, I know a really beautiful young lady. She works really hard, she thinks of others, and she fights every day with some of the really bleak things that go on in this world, but she does it without losing an incredible heart for her friends and her family and for strangers. And a thing that she really loves is books. Um, but sometimes when we're in a shop and she sees a book she likes, she won't buy it because she's got too many, because she should save her money for something important, because she hasn't done anything to deserve it. How has that happened? How has happiness become something less valuable than the £2 that book is going to cost in the charity shop? Uh, less valuable than a couple of square inches of space? How have we come to a point where we feel like you have to do something exceptional to earn that feeling we were built for? And come to that, where carrying on and being a bright light in a dark world doesn't count as that exceptional thing. We know that salvation isn't earned by works, but I wonder if sometimes we think joy works differently. Sometimes I feel like maybe we've all been sold a lie that our worth is dictated by what we produce 
and that that worth dictates how much joy we deserve. And that is a big, huge lie that sits right in the middle of the culture of our world. And it's hard not to be pulled in by it. It's hard for me. It's hard to swim against the tide. But this thing, this worth by works, we know that's not God. That's not gospel. How many times have you said, I will buy myself that after I've finished my deadline, or I don't deserve takeaway tonight? What is that? I'm not saying be frivolous, be silly, burn through your money. I'm saying that your worth has been set. Not by finishing your project or by earning a promotion. Your worth was set the moment God came down to earth. Scratch that even before that. The very moment he sets his rescue plan into action, when he speaks to Isaiah and says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. He sets the worth of his children, and he sets it so high. And that worth, it crystallises here, At this point in the story, Christmas, when Christ gives up heaven and comes down to earth here with us to face human life and loss, hardship, death, the cross being torn apart from his father for our sin. Your worth has been set and it has been set higher than a book or a handbag or a nice dinner. You are worth the heart of God himself, because that is what he has paid for you. So please, don't feel joy, uh, shame for doing the things that bring you joy. They were bought for you on the cross. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, there are limits here. Um, when we step into that salvation, that worth that Christ brought to us, we step into a family, and it is a family with values. Uh, A family that is anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. When we walk alongside Christ, this this is the work that we walk in and sometimes that work is hard. Sometimes that work means denying ourselves the things that will get in the way of seeing that work to to completion or things that will distract us. But that doesn't mean giving up joy. It doesn't mean denying ourselves the good pleasures that God built into his world in his magnificent design and the wonders he spread before us in the universe. The table prepared before us in front of our enemies, the cup overflowing. We aren't called to work in misery. Uh, I read somewhere recently that one of the greatest tragedies is that we've created a world where we equate suffering with depth. There is a depth to suffering, of course there is. Um, There are things about God and ourselves that we can only learn when we're broken. Um, There are depths of grace and empathy and love and faithfulness that we learn when we walk through the valley. God has given us emotions for a reason, sorrow as well as happiness, and each of them bear fruit in season. But there is a depth to joy too. There is a depth in laughing until you cry or until your stomach hurts. There is a depth in watching the sunrise and the light catching on roofs when when it comes just over a hill and it starts glancing down on all the tiles. There's a depth in that. Um, There's a depth 
in the wonder that you get when you watch like a tiny bug. Have you ever seen like a grasshopper when they clean their face with their teeny tiny hands? There's a depth to that. Um, <clears throat> there is a depth in the moments when your heart is so full that you love everyone so much you could explode. There are things to learn from the good as well as from the bad. So please don't diminish joy or playing or having fun as if there's something childish or as if being childish makes something worth less. That is not how I see it in the word. <coughs> Sorry, guys. I don't have COVID. <laughs> this is really long. I've been going for like 10 minutes already. This is awful. I'm so sorry. <coughs> uh, so Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Um, Proverbs 17.22 A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the the bones. Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Joy is its own good work. In Ecclesiastes 3, it says, and I like Ecclesiastes, by the way. I don't feel like we spend enough time in that book. (coughs) It says... I perceived there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. In Romans 14 we read, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I know that's a big chunk where I'm reading loads of scriptures to you. Um, but that's not even all of them. I could read you scriptures about joy all day and it would be great. Um, but the point is that it matters. That it's a huge, vast part of the plan. The heart of God's design, his intent for each of us. Joy is one of those things in which the now touches the not yet. Where we see a glimpse through the veil, heaven on earth. <laughs> Sorry guys, I'm just going to do a bit more coughing. Please ignore it. (laughs) (coughs) So yeah, this heavenly joy, it's not a last priority thing. It's important. It's life-giving and it doesn't wait. Uh, This picture we have of joy that only arrives at the end of the story, the reward for a job well done, that's not the joy that you see in the good book. This is a joy that breaks in. It's a joy of a young woman singing God's blessings when in reality her life has just been thrown upside down. The very start of the story, Mary, when she sings her song, that classic verse that we turn to at Christmas. Um, It's the joy of two men in prison singing long into the night despite chains around their wrists. It's the joy of a party thrown in the middle of a lesson on failure. Paul, Mary, Ezra, Nehemiah... It's a joy that we find all the way through the Psalms, often from David in the midst of a battle. (coughs) It's a joy that breaks in, that celebrates, even when everything on the surface appears to be going wrong. Because why shouldn't it? The victory is assured, promised, it is coming. 
It's the kind of joy that comes at the start of Advent or the beginning of planning for a wedding. The clouds gathering before the first rain on dry land. The distant flash of the blue sky at the edge of a storm. The first light of dawn. It's not here yet, but it's on its way. Thank God it is on its way. I know that perhaps that's not the way that makes sense or comes easily. I know perhaps it doesn't maths out. It's more logical maybe to think that once we've done something good, we get something good. That reward comes after a success. But honestly, when have you looked at the Bible and seen the truth to be the same as what makes earthly sense? When have you seen God do things in the easy, logical way? This is the God who chooses the shepherd boy to be his king, who sends his heavenly choir to a backwater hillside, who sends his son to a stable. The God who picks a ragtag bunch of misfits to change the world. The God who keeps working to bring his children back to him after they turn their back again and again and again and again and again. Get ready for another chunk of scripture. We're going again. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of his age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I've heard it said many times, that, um, particularly by our beloved Ian, he said this often, um, that as Christians in the West, we often choose to forget one of the Ten Commandments, and it's the, it's the Sabbath, the day of rest. I think it's the, it's the same lie um, that we saw a bit earlier. That same trick about worth and productivity. The same thought that we are human doings, not human beings. The idea that we aren't good enough. It's easier to follow the commandments that require sacrifice or the focus on the care of others than those that ask us to take care of ourselves. In a world that says insistently that until you have this or until you are this, you are insufficient... Actively seeking joy is a radical act. It might be called selfish or foolish. But very often, following God requires the things that the world will judge and call foolish. Uh, Do you know the story of David when he dances before the ark? Yeah, of course you do. You guys, you know your stuff. Um, It's this story, this amazing story, um, where the ark is being brought home and David, the king of Israel, is celebrating. Everyone's celebrating, but David is really going for it, you know? He is showing his joy. He is dancing and leaping and singing at the front of this procession, wearing nothing but a linen cloth. Um, 
He shows his joy, but in doing so, he foregoes the decorum expected of a king. And when he arrives home, this is the welcome he receives. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David says to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people in Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. I really love David here. Um, This willingness to be humiliated by earthly standards in order to live by heavenly ones. Uh, to be joyful regardless of the, what the world might think and regarding what God will. Uh, I wonder how many of us would do the same or how many of us would be dignified and sensible uh, passing up that moment of joy out of a fear of judgment. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Stand firm. Stand firm. It's not easy. Um, It's not easy. It's not easy to deny the world and to fix your eyes on heaven. It's not easy to live counter to our culture. And I'm not saying it should be. Um, I'm not saying that if you're afraid, you're failing, or that if you're sad, you're doing something wrong or not good enough. Life is really hard. It's really hard, and you're all doing so good. You're absolutely amazing. Um, But I am saying chase after it. It's hard and we can't do it on our own, but reach for it, pray for it, call out to God, ask for your thinking to be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that work that only he can do. In the same way that we work on the disciplines of of prayer or fasting, work on the discipline of joy, of making the choice to rejoice in the day that the Lord has made, the choice to soak in the beauty of it. It's an easy thing to minimise the work of joy, but it is a good thing to make big. And it does really matter. It's important. I am so blessed to get to work with the children and the young people in this church and in our town. And joy does come more easily to them, but it's not a given. Um, When I was small, I remember taking joy in in everything. Um, I was always so excited and proud to show people things that I'd made, like if I'd done these incredibly awful drawings, I'd be so excited to show them off. Um, My lovely parents would always say very nice, encouraging things. Um, <coughs> but actually, uh, I don't always see that now. Um, I work in a lot of schools, and I see a lot of children who, when they draw something, they're embarrassed about it. Um, they don't want to show it to you. They say they're terrible, they're bad at drawing. Um, I've done lessons in schools in the last year um, where I ask children to say one good thing about themselves, and they can't. You know, that's really sad. That's heartbreaking. When we live in this lie that we aren't good enough, that joy is something we don't deserve or that it's something silly or childish and not worth the time it takes, that drips down, you know? That becomes the water um, that our kids and their young people, their roots are growing in. And I'm really fed up with it. I'm so profoundly angry uh, with this lie that you are not good enough, uh, that you are not beautiful enough, gifted enough, funny enough, smart enough, rich enough. Uh, that you aren't fearfully and wonderfully made a mirror that reflects a perfect God, because you are. 
You are so wonderful. I've been so blessed to be a part of this church and to get to know how absolutely incredible and beautiful each of you are. So have fun. Please have fun. (laughs) When you give your children gifts at Christmas, you'll want them to enjoy them, won't you? I mean, to play with them, to be free, excited, happy, to celebrate them. And if you, though you are evil, know how to good give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more he's already given? I mean, look at the world, the sun, the trees. The clouds are beautiful in their own way. Um, Look around the people like next to you, to the other side of you. There are these beautiful gifts that we've been given, and they're so amazing. Um, And he doesn't give us these gifts to look at from a distance. He gives them for joy. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the joy. We are living in the now and the not yet. The dawn is coming, but the night is clinging on. And weeping may stay for the night, but joy does come in the morning. So don't miss it when it does. You're not made to survive without it, to walk around with a great big piece of your heart missing. Don't say you aren't good enough because your goodness is not on trial. It's not even relevant because God's goodness is enough. Uh, Christ's goodness has set your worth and he has decided that you are worth loving and you are worth joy and you are worth fun. So please enjoy yourselves. That's it. I've gone on probably far longer than I was meant to. Thank you for bearing with me. Um, And thank you for taking such good care of me all these years. You've been absolutely wonderful. (laughs) Kevin's going to do communion now.